Australia in four, the United States in five. Off, McKenzie at the bottom, Stubbins above her, Schlanger in six, then to the yellow lane, Henry. Queen start, Newell's got into the water quickly, but so did Joyce. For short of Germany was away well. They'll go to the wall all together, pick that one. Bloomer in fact, ahead of Manuel and Hirsch Amenya. What a shot, Peterson stumps her authority on another 200 breaststroke. Now Henry is starting to come at her. Henry's throwing Linden down. Linden and Henry. Henry and Linden. They hit it. Jody Henry of Australia shading. Jenny Thompson has taken the lead here. The Australians have only won this race once. It was with Dawn Fraser in 1956. Henry's moving away. She's going to win it for Australia. This has been a remarkable last leg. Jody Henry is going to bring Australia home for what will be yes! big <laughs> Welcome to the second ever episode of the Shannon Rollison podcast as I introduce the man himself, the star of the podcast, Mr. Shannon Rollison. Mate, how are you going? Yeah, good, Robbie. Yourself? Yeah, good, mate. Good. Getting that uh, light at the end of the tunnel in lockdown, so which is getting exciting slash very confusing, but, but still, we know we're getting out. We just don't know when we're getting out. Uh, mate, question back to you. How's your lawn going? <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've had plenty of time to work on it. Uh, and we've got some rain coming, so that's good. Um, but uh, it's going good. There's, there's these little just green shoots just coming through. Uh, so hopefully in a, what, three weeks, the back deck won't be so muddy with the dog on it. <laughs> <laughs> and for people who, who maybe didn't listen to episode one or hadn't heard mine and Shannon's chat for off the blocks, uh, just to give you a bit of backstory, while Shannon might know uh, an awful lot about swimming and how to develop swimmers and fix technique, when it comes to the lawn, he's, uh, he's scratching his head and he's trying out some stuff. So, which is comforting, mate. It's good to see that, you, you know, there are struggles there and you've not got the answers for everything. Uh, you got to challenge yourself in life, haven't you? <laughs> oh, mate, absolutely. Now, uh, obviously, a lot to go through today is our topic for today's podcast is none other than the one and only former world record holder, Olympic champion, one of Australia's best ever in the pool, Miss Jodie Henry. Uh, it's hard to believe it's been over 13 years since Jodie announced her retirement in 2008. Um, she certainly was a part of a golden era of swimming here in Australia and played a major part, I believe, in the resurgence of women sprinting in our country. And I'm really excited, mate, to be able to sit down and chat to you about her amazing career today because obviously you played such a pivotal role, had a front row seat for all those breakout performances that we're going to talk about. How much did you enjoy taking a trip down memory lane in preparation for today's podcast because i know you sent me through some great notes so obviously you were sitting there and the brain was ticking away was it good to sort of put your mind back there because i'm assuming it doesn't happen that often these days because you're always looking ahead and where you're moving to yeah well, that's right it's the name of the game in coaching isn't it um and yeah i yeah i sent you through uh, some of that stuff and it's funny like i sometimes think yeah, did I enjoy the moment as much as I could, you know, should have? Um, so, yeah, it's uh, certainly, you know, as an athlete, uh, coach-athlete relationship, it, it was, you know, it had many layers. So Yeah. 
Well, it's it's one of those things, and and it is important for coaches to always look forward. And I think it was was it you that was telling me if you if you're not if you're just a statue, you're gonna pigeons are gonna shit on you. So we're, yeah. we've constantly got to be moving forward, no doubt. But the, the thing I like about this podcast that we're going to be doing is in looking back at, at the history of the sport and what we've been able to achieve. Is there's lessons in that as well. There's a lot of lessons in things that have have been done before. So, you know, in learning from those, we don't need to make those same mistakes or, you know, we can look ahead and say, okay, well, that's work. Let, let's try and implement that. Let's get stuck into it. And like so many great swimmer, coach, team, you know, partnerships over the years, Phelps, Bowman, Thorpe, Frost, the Campbell sisters and, and Simon Cusack over the years, you started working with Jody at a quite a young age. Do you remember your first interactions with Jody on pool deck and how old was she? Yeah, so... Um... I coached a father, Gary, uh, in master's swimming when we had a master's group back in the 90s, um, and he was a good swimmer. And uh, she came down for the winter um, of, uh, must have been 90s, yeah, the winter of 96, and then went back to her club pool, uh, which was uh, Spring Springwood Swim School, uh, Swim Club. Um, there at Springwood uh, the State School there. Mm-hmm. And um, so she swam through the summer as a 14-year-old. And then I got a – Gary rang me, and she was thinking of giving it away, which is not uncommon un- uncommon for a, you know, 14-, 15-year-old. Um, and when, you know, when you look at stats, I know Drew McGregor's done a lot of this sort of stuff. He, he says that 14-, 15-age bracket is, is critical for females. Um, and uh, he rang me and he, he said, oh, she was thinking of quitting, um, and he put to her, you know, would she want to try the Chandler on a more permanent basis and just see if she liked it. Mm. So, um, of course, you know, she came down in 97, um, and uh, the first first group, she didn't come straight into the, the AIDS senior program, um, I she went into the intermediate, what we used to call intermediate, so probably like silver. Mm. Um, and she just trained of an afternoon. And my, my brother was my assistant coach at that that stage. So that first six months or so, she did with, with him. Mate, 1997, as you said, you know, Jody Henry, Alice Mills, um, Tim Kerrison. Training, what was she like in training? Was, you know, was Jody a good trainer? Has that Did that evolve over the years? Um, did it change? Did her motivations in, in training change? But, you know, take us back to a silver squad, Jody Henry, because obviously a lot of the coaches out there now are coaching a silver squad. So they're going to see these younger athletes coming through. What was Jody like at that age? Yeah, so she was pretty much, you know, normal, just a normal kid. Um, she wasn't a standout or anything like that. Um, from a performance point of view, if you just watched her swim, she was a standout. Like, I, you know, she was just swimming at that stage, you know, freestyle-wise, in you know, I had a real mixed bag. And I'd watch her swim and I just thought, oh, this kid just swims differently to everybody else in my group. And from a, you know, I had some distance girls that were, were sort of making teams and national finals, so... You know, they were obviously a, a different sort of athlete, but she just swam like she, she just swam freestyle with a six b kick all the time, and that was a real strength of hers. Mm. But she was doing it at fourteen years of age, you know, 
loved to get out swim. Um, you know, so uh, my brother used to give these get out swims because he was a big fan of them <laughs> when he was a swimmer. Anyway, she always would rise to the occasion, you know, and, uh, um, but you know, she was just doing afternoons and, 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 you know, four or five sessions a week, maybe six. I think we had six sessions available, something like that. So. And, you know, what, at what stage did you start to look at her in terms of, we know we covered it last week, 2004 Athens Olympics. We know that sort of a heartbreak for you was that 2000 Olympic trials and, you know, not quite getting there. Well, at what stage in 1997 are you looking, or is it 1998, are you looking at Jody and Alice and the team and going, okay, I think we've got some athletes here, but she's in silver squad at this stage as well. So we're not trying to overcook her. So give us just a, a quick snapshot into that sort of uh, progression in your mind. Yeah, so, uh, um, so she finished that year, that summer, and... Um, I remember, so it was, would have been 98 and the Commonwealth Games in uh, Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia there was was on. We had uh, Emily Pedrazzini and Kate Godfrey were on that team. So, which was the, you know, the good thing about the club. Once we sort of started getting people on teams, the youngsters like Jodie and Alice, um, they had people to aspire to, you know, and look up to and, they could watch the Commonwealth Games and watch those kids. So I think that that was pretty important. But she, I remember she was said to me that she wanted to go to age, to age nationals. So mm-hmm. her first age nationals was going to be as a fifteen year old, and um, and I said, oh well, you know, uh, she was good enough at that stage to step up into the age group slash senior program. And um, which I had three lanes, I'd operate in three. The inter- intermediate silver group uh, was in two and the age program, I used to coach from out of three lanes and as, as most programs, the fastest kids are at the front. And um, anyway, I said, well, if you want to go to nationals and you want to do well, you're going to have to start training in, in the mornings, you know. <laughs> and um, she said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, next week, Okay, we'll start, you know, and I didn't expect her to start, you know, get bumped straight up to nine program sessions, but I sort of said Monday morning and Saturday morning and uh, then the five afternoons or something that gives you seven sessions. So Monday comes and she didn't turn up. <laughs> the um, Anyway, so normally when that happens, yeah, we've all experienced that and that afternoon the, the swimmer comes in and comes straight over and says, oh, Sorry, Shannon, you know, mum ran over the cat or <laughs> the, the alarm didn't go off or mum didn't get me up, you know, something. She comes in, nothing, you know. Anyway, I'm, I'm busy because I always coached the juniors, um, uh, which was the group before. So they'd go 345 to five, you know, so and you've got 30 to 40 of those kids. So you're flat out. Um, anyway, so as they were finishing up and uh, senior guys are going to get in the water and uh, said the warm-up, this is what we're doing, blah, 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 and they're all about to get in. And David Else, who started working with me in 97 um, through the QAS sports psych, um, and, uh, well, actually, he was a psych who was majoring in sports psych, so 
he had to do his hours and stuff. So he, he'd, he'd rocked up and he was standing beside me and uh, he, he knew Jody was supposed to be there that morning. And he said, Oh, did, you know, did she, how did, how did it go? And he, <laughs> I said, Oh, she didn't, uh, she didn't turn up. And uh, he said, Oh, how, why? And uh, I said, Oh, I don't know. I haven't got, I haven't spoke to her yet. I haven't asked her. Anyway, she was at the, on the end of the line and I, I was still waiting for her to say something and she was about to dive in and I pulled her out. I said, hey, Jode, you're supposed to be here this morning. Uh, and uh, she turned around and she said, oh, yeah, I didn't feel like it. <laughs> and, and I was like, <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, uh, for, uh, I don't know what I remember. I said, oh, Joe, do you like do you like training? And she said, nah. <laughs> I said, why do you swim? She says, I like winning. <laughs> and she just turned around and dived in the pool. And uh, David, he was he was you know laughing under his breath and that. And he goes, what do you think of that? I said, I think that's the first time a swimmer's ever been one hundred percent honest with me. <laughs> <laughs> and that uh, that really sums up. Our relationship, you know, in one word, is honesty. Mm. Sometimes both of us were brutally too honest with each other, but uh, I'd, I'd rather it that way, you know. Um, and you know, it it, it it was allowed to grow as well. And uh, I think that's the key to any relationship. You know, she didn't come in as a twenty-two-year-old, and I had to try and deal with things. So. Yeah, we both had plenty of times to make mistakes and and um, along the way before it really got serious. Now, you mentioned Dave Els there and talk to me about that sort of uh, partnership. I think it was about three years, you know, he was on pool deck working with you. Um, what did you learn yourself? Did you take anything out of your interactions with the sports psychologist? And would you recommend that to a lot of other young coaches out there to be making sure they're proactive in terms of looking out and trying to source more information and move their professional development forward, not just waiting for institutes or, you know, uh, governing bodies to put on clinics, for reaching out and trying to do it yourself as well? Yeah, look, um, you know, in 2004, I said, I said to, uh, you know, we had a, party when we came home from Athens and stuff and everyone that was involved and family and that were there. And, and I said at there, I said, you know, David else sort of, he, he projected me down the coaching road about 10 years, you know, uh, that time I spent with him. And if it wasn't for that period of uh, those years with Dave, I wouldn't have been able to coach Jody. Um, so I, I highly recommend it. You know, and at the end of the, so, so he went through all the way through um, to 2000. So it was only supposed to be two years and it got extended. And then he was slow in his work. So it just kept getting extended. And then they just thought we'll go through. But it was just perfect, you know, because he was challenging my ideas of coaching and he was challenging what, uh, the senior coaches and, and the mentor coaches in Australia were saying to us, you know, at that stage, you know, it was all about being tough and uncompromising and 
don't give an inch and students aren't going to make it unless they're doing X amount of kilometers a week, doing X amount of sessions for 48 weeks of the year. And you've got to be superhuman and all of those things. And Dave came along and really just challenged um, those thoughts, you know? So, and, and they were thoughts that I'd, you know, because I swam, so we were told that in the 80s, mm. not, you're on deck, being told that as a young coach. So you think, you know, they're, the, they're you know, these, these superhuman stories that you all hear. Um, so he really made me think. So um, it was really good, really good. In what way was it different from what you were being told? So in terms of obviously, you know, back in the day it was – you know, to be faster, you got to be fitter, you got to work harder. It's all about, you know, how hard you're working. In what ways was he challenging that? Uh, so he was, he challenged, it was nothing to do with training. So mm -hmm. it was all about around being flexible and knowing when to be strong and when not to be. So I sort of, you know, I came up, you know, I was listening to uh, reading stuff on Bruce Lee and his to be like water. Mm -hmm. So I came up with that. I thought that'd be, you know, Dave asked me, what sort of coach do you want to be? And it was probably 98 or something like that. And uh, and I thought he wanted, he, he was saying, oh, distance coach or a sprint coach or a whatever coach. So I gave him one of those answers and um, he said, no, no, no. And then he clarified what he want, wanted. And then, so he was working and living in Toowoomba um, studying up there and that. So he would come down and spend a day um, and we'd just chat for a day. And he'd do that once a week or once a fortnight. And he said, oh, I'll, I'll leave that with you. I'll come back and we'll pick it up when I, when I come back. And when he came back, I gave him my answer. It was be like water, which was to be flexible, to be strong, to be soft, take any form. So wanted to be able to maneuver myself as a coach to the athlete that was coming to me so you know does that make sense yeah for sure and, and i said to a coach once years later i said to them i said you're a rock and people bounce off rocks you know so um if you're going to coach a lot of different people if you want to have success over a long period of time You've got to be, you've got to have that flexibility to be able to move out of the way when you need to move out of the way. And other times you got you do have to be strong, you know, but you've got to pick those moments. And I think that's tremendous advice. And, you know, just even you saying that, <clears throat> and I know for all the listeners out there, they'll know, you know, you and I are, are rugby league nuts, but just listening to Wayne Bennett the other day talk after his press conference with the Rabbitohs and how proud he was of himself uh, in this preparation coming up to the grand final next week because he was saying how hard he'd worked on just giving the team what they wanted. It didn't matter how he was feeling or what he was going through was what the team needed. So he just basically molded himself into what he need, they needed him to be, um, which at his age and, um, you know, his longevity is just tremendous. But that, you know, proves the point to what you just said, you know, being like water, taking any form of what that athlete or team needs in front of them. It's, you know, putting your own sort of thoughts aside and your own feelings, isn't it? And just sort of yeah. being what they need. Yeah. And, you know, Wayne, <clears throat> he's, you know, everyone knows Wayne Bennett and how long he's been around and, and you, 
you learn that over time, don't you? You know, and and that's what I mean by Dave sort of just threw me down the road 10 years because, you know, when he was putting all that sort of stuff to me, I was 26, 27 years of age. And when you're a younger coach, you know, one of the things is you it's you got to keep, you know, a 20-year-old, so there's only like six years between years, you've got to keep that distance in that relationship. And that can be harder for a younger coach. Whereas when you've got, as you get older, that the age is the distance, you know. So um, they don't see you as one of them because you're old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as I'm learning, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, I, I was probably my, you know, my most uncompromising in my 20s, you know, and um, because of, 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 of my age and I was coaching guys like Greg Shaw, he's born 77. I was coaching guys that were born 76 and I was born 71, you know. So um, the, uh, he, he really, really helped me. And, and um, if, if it wasn't for Dave, you know, timing's everything, isn't it? And, you know, all that, we talk about those people that came in in 97 um, and, you know, I, I've often said if, if Jody had been a couple of years older and in that first wave of athletes that I had, uh, you know, she wouldn't have been Jody Henry, the Olympic 100-metre freestyle with, with me then. It, you know, she came in, Dave came in, I was at a time, so everything you look back and you just think, oh, God, look at the timing, you know. 1997 was such a pivotal year. Mm. Well, mate, talk to me about missing the, the 2000 team. What was the reaction like? I know obviously from you, we've, we've talked about it last week, but from from the girls, um, what, what was the reaction like and, and how did they deal with that? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I think I've talked about this uh Previously, um, yeah, for the final, Jody made the Olympic final, and she was just going for experience. Um, she, you know, Age Nationals was that year in Perth, and uh, she'd gone to that, and um, you know, so that was her big meet for the year, and that she was just going to the Olympic trials just for Luxy, and um, makes the final. I think she was in lane two, and. Uh, missed the, I went under the qualifying time by 0.01. But anyway, I, I couldn't get her in the pool for the warm up. She was so nervous. She said, Oh, I'm going to be sick. I'm going to throw up. And I spent, you know, 40 odd minutes talking her into swimming. And by that stage, the warm up had, was over and she needed to go to the mastering area. Anyway, she, she swims. And something I haven't talked a lot about is her reaction to missing the team. And oh, she was spitting chips. Like, I couldn't believe, you know, like, I was like, one minute you couldn't, you didn't think you were well enough to swim. She finishes sixth, misses the qualifying time by 0.01. They, they only took five. And I hadn't seen that side of her. Like, she was quite animated and yeah. <laughs> blown off steam, let's say. And, and it just shocked me that... Yeah, I thought she'd be like, oh, well, I didn't really want to make it anyway, you know, mm. sort of reaction. But, um, look, it, you know, she wasn't ready. It was clearly she wasn't ready. And 
Don Talbot didn't pick her and uh, it was the right thing to do, you know. So um, she made the, the youth team, the Commonwealth youth team that was in Edinburgh, Scotland for that year. Um, and that was the level that was great for her. I got selected to go with her. So we both, you know, that was our first, um, her first Australian team, the, you know, our first working together internationally. Uh, she went over and won three gold medals in that. Um, and it was just, it was a great way for her to have a nice uh, small step into international swim, swimming. Looking back, that reaction that you hadn't seen before, was that, uh, was that a good thing? Like, did that help you understand, Jody, a little bit more moving forward, given that you hadn't sort of seen that sort of instinct reaction from her? You probably, as you said, weren't expecting it. Now she's she's given, you know, I don't know if she's given you a gobful or given other people a gobful of what she's doing. I wasn't there, but clearly this is something that's sort of made you step back a bit and go, oh, hang on a second, we, we've not seen this before. Did you learn something from that moving forward? Oh, yeah, and like... When I say, yeah, she wasn't giving anybody a, a spray or anything like that. She was only 16. She was just, you know, a few curse words. Or oh, I've had a few gobfuls from 16-year-olds. Don't worry. I've, I've copped a few sprays. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, Jade, was, she wasn't like that. Um, no, no, she was just, yeah, she was very disappointed for not making the team. But, yeah, and, and you know, I've told the famous feeding the duck story, you know, so Jade had, feed the ducks, you know, that, that happened probably, well, from what I know, once, but let's say it happened twice. Um, but she was, you know, she wasn't like this kid that was, you know, she wouldn't tell me, oh, I want to go to the Olympics and, oh, I, I want to do this. And, yeah. you know, she wasn't like one of those types. She was this, in, you know, a deep thinker, an internal thinker. Um, but it just became evident. It was like, hmm, there's more, more to this girl than, than meets the eye. And uh, so, yeah, it, it absolutely did um, resonate with me and it was something that I carried forward, you know. For coaches out there, how important is it to pay attention to moments like that to help understand our athletes a little bit more? Oh, absolutely. Like, And that's where, you know, a couple of weeks ago, uh, and that off the box, we talked about having time yeah. um, and not being overworked. Um, yeah, Bill Sweetenham once said, yeah, never make a, a, a coaching decision when you're tired. And I think that's, you know, um, yeah, and, yeah, because you, you, you make the decision, you think later on, you think, why did I do that? You know? Yeah. So, and that's, and the other thing is you, you miss the, those little, golden moments don't you you know if you're too busy you're too tired you know you're not you're not picking up the glue of, of the athlete or, or the situation and it's those those moments that um they're the little gems and they're the moments that the better coaches pick up on and and, and you know can use them in years to years ahead mm. Made 2001, uh, World Champs team. Uh, I think she's picked up there as a relay member. Talk to me about that. What was that experience like? Because this is her first sort of major senior team, right? Yeah, that's right. And she got bronze in the fifth in, in the 53 that year. 
Aussie Opens. That was the first time on the dais. Um, and then she finished uh, fifth or sixth. Um, so she just went as a heat swimmer in the relay. And um, she was telling me the story. I didn't know all of this. I knew Mark Reagan looked after her. And they did it because back then and all through the 90s, Don was just a big fan of time trials <laughs> for relay spots. And anyone could stick their hand up for a time trial. Anyway, so Jodie, you know, she's a bit unknown. So she had to prove herself. So anyway, he, he, he did a time trial with her, but Don wasn't there for some reason. He must have, you know, couldn't get there or something like that. Anyway, she went 55-8 or something like that which was really good, you know, yeah. back then she was a, she made the team with a 56 and um, Don wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I wasn't there. It didn't, didn't happen. <laughs> so then he, he said she had to do it again. And she was telling me only a couple of months back, she was telling me how she didn't even want to do the relay heat. She said, no, no, it's okay. I don't have to swim. <laughs> <laughs> so they make her do another time trial. And she swims it again. So then they put her in the heat team. Swims really well in the heat. Um, and actually, yeah, if you looked at time, she, they could have put her in the final, but they didn't. Um, they, they, they went with some of the more experienced girls. And so there's, a, there's you know, we've all seen that happen and, and stuff. But she was telling me um, the other day how <laughs> she's lucky that she didn't get the team disqualified because as soon as she finished, she was so nervous. She, she dunks under the lane ropes and starts exiting for the pool and the other teams hadn't finished. <laughs> she said, how is it she didn't get the team disqualified? No one must have noticed. Nearly swam into the, the team finishing in lane eight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was her and that was in Japan. Yeah, the 2001 Worlds. So that was in Japan. That was a very successful team. That was when Australia beat um, the US for the first time. It's funny, <clears throat> pardon me, it's funny you mentioned the relays getting disqualified. It reminds me of, uh, was it the 4 by 2 Was it the girls the 4 by 2 when they got disqualified because they all jumped in to celebrate? Yeah, that's right. And they jumped in before everyone had finished. Mm. And that, it was at that meet. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of that. And that's when um, all that the rules started changing and all that sort of stuff because... Well, it started being more brought to light anyway at that stage because yeah. I don't think it was it was highlighted. Um, mate, we mentioned there, you know, a few times obviously Jodie's strength in terms of her her competitive nature and and wanting to be a winner and all that sort of stuff. Just as an athlete from the outside, you know, you obviously got to to see her from the beginning right up until you know the, her end of the career. What were her strengths and what were her weaknesses as an athlete? Um. So she was she was quiet. Um, <clears throat> she wasn't, you know, one of these uh, girls that had to have the attention. She didn't want the attention. Um, and you know, as a swimmer training and stuff like that, um, she you know just came in, did her thing. She wasn't disruptive. Um, all of the things like she'd miss a session. Uh, on a, say, she just hated Monday mornings, you know. So she, <laughs> if she was going to miss a session, it would be on a Monday morning. But but as as the meet got closer, 
that that stopped, you know. And, and when she'd missed that session on a Monday morning, so Friday mornings were a makeup session. And if no one had to do a makeup session, then I got to sleep in. So she'd go, oh, I'll just come in on Friday. <laughs> I'd have to struggle in on, on a Friday. And uh, and she enjoyed that. So, you know, some, some trainers need people to train with. She wasn't one of them. Although she had a great squad to train with from a, uh, competitiveness um, and that can be a strength and a weakness at times but um, so I had to manage that but um, she like some of the, her best sets were just her and I on a Friday morning um, so the the other thing was um, the reverse periodization really suited her mm. because as the training um, stepped up throughout the uh, the 20 weeks and that her focus stepped up. So she wasn't an athlete that could look six months out and go, I'm going to train flat out for six months. So when we were doing our speed work and skills and stuff like that and long swimming, um, that, that was when she was, you had to try and keep her roped in. But as the meat, as you could see the, the meat on, on the horizon, yeah, then Monday morning she'd start coming and, Everything's yeah. Everything started dialing in, so that was yeah. I look back and I think, well, it's, it's funny though. I, I started doing that reverse periodization because it, it suited her, you know. Well, mate, we've we've talked obviously about you know she's just starting to get onto the team uh, in two thousand and one. She's making a bit of a splash. She's starting to swim these really good times. Two thousand and two, we've got Man Ostrom Tour, Com Games in Manchester. Talk to me about that year. Yeah, so I was just having a quick look and I, I remember talking about it with people you know, on teams and, and um, whoever the head coach was, uh, it was probably Lee Nugent by the time I, I was talking about it. She had a big drop in 2002. She you know, had a quick look at her times and that. So in 2000, and, um, let me just put my glasses on, <laughs> uh, 2001, one, she was swimming 56.6, so the same time as she did in 2000, uh, she went from 26.2 to 25.9. But in 2002, she dropped to a 54.5 at the Pampax and a 25.2. So both Australian records. Um, and I had a quick look at the 50s that year. So she went 25 50-metre freestyles. Um, so that's heats and finals at big meets. So, mm. and what I counted was state championships and above. So me and Ostrom, you know, uh, we did the Monaco meet and the Rome. Rome was part of it back then. And then we came home. We didn't do all, you know, it was all four. Then it went to three. But Don always sort of said, it's fine to go over, but don't do three because it takes – it, it just interrupts too much of the training and takes too much out of them. Mm. So we just do the two meets. So she did Monaco um, and she was really nervous for that meet for her first final. So they do this knockout series and yeah, we're going there for experience and um, it's a, a long story short, she didn't want to swim the final um, because no, she didn't want to swim the semi. So we did, we got down to, the four 
And because uh, she said she was sick. Anyway, I sort of I put my foot down and I said, you're swimming. Uh, we haven't come all this way for you to sit in the hotel. Anyway, um, so she gets into the final. And who has she got to swim against in the final? Alice Mills. <laughs> We'd gone all that way. To, to get some experience, and we could have done it on a Saturday morning at Chandler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so um, she broke Inga de Bruins pool record in Monaco, uh, and we go to Rome, and she was right as rain. You know, all the butterflies. It was, so it was a big step forward uh, at that meet. If we hadn't have done that meet, oh, Commonwealth Games wouldn't have been – anywhere near as good. And um, so, and the other good thing was other people saw her, you know, the nervousness, like Karen Morass and Greg Hodge, um, you know, they probably were going to let her not swim, you know. And um, so when we got to the Commonwealth Games, she, uh, they, they were on it and, and we had these walkie-talkies and all that sort of stuff. And it was in Manchester. Um, and just, you know, for those people listening the brits can do a fantastic mate like best olympics I've ever been to is london and best commonwealth games i've ever been to is i've only been to two commonwealth games but that manchester meet just went off and um anyway so we were downstairs and uh we had these walkie talkies and stuff and the 50 meter pool downstairs was the warm-up swim down type pool and you had to go up about three or four flights to the comp pool. And um, so she swam the heat or the semi of the 100 free and um, qualified fastest. So I get this radio microphone chat comes through and Karen goes, oh, she's really nervous about being fastest qualified. And I could see her coming through the doors. And I had about 50 metres to come up with an idea. <laughs> and as she's coming, she's walking, you know, quite quickly and... <laughs> She comes up and I said, oh, same sort of gig. How, how, how was the swim? She said, oh, yeah, it was good. Felt good. I'm fastest qualifier. Yeah, yeah. I tried to sort of not go down that road and, and ask her something else. She goes, she said, oh, I'm fastest qualifier. I said, Dad, no one expects you to win. Yeah, <laughs> you haven't even won the Australian Championship because Sarah Ryan beat her at the Australian Championships. She had to race Karen Pickering and Sarah Ryan and – there's a couple of others, and I'm like, they're the, you know, Karen Pickering, I think, was the defending Commonwealth champion. She was the British champion. You know, just came up with as many stats. You know, when you asked me, do I read much? And I said, no. I, to clarify that, I, I, I used to read a hell of a lot of swimming stuff um, in books and all that sort of stuff. So um, I just went through all these stats, why she wasn't going to win. Mm. Now, most people, you know, you, you're killing them. But for her, it was – you could just see that the, her own expectation, her own weight would just lift off her shoulders. And her, her whole face had just changed, you know, and she starts smiling, <laughs> which was just encouragement for me, you know. So um, uh, anyway, so she got in, swim down, and she went on, she won it, and she became Commonwealth champion. And um, – in the hundred, and then we went to Pampax, and she she just went to another level again mm. at Pampax. Natalie Coglin beat her at Pampax, but um, uh, and Natalie 
went under 54 for the, she was the second female in history to do that at that meet, but Jade went 54.5 and she lowered the 50 meter record again to about 25.2. But yeah, I think that amount of racing really helped her um, in, in 02. I'm curious when you're coming up with these little, uh, you know, pockets of inspiration, like, you know, <laughs> you're not the favorite, calm yourself, nobody cares, nobody expects you to win. Um, you know, is that something you talk to her about after and let her in? Are you a bit of a magician in that way? Like, you know, you, you never really reveal your secrets or is that something you talk to later and go, you know, I said you not you weren't the favourite. Well, obviously you were. You were always going to be be right up there. No, no. I never never went through it with her um, until these days, you know, when we catch up and stuff and uh, we have lunch or and uh, – I remember she was telling me <laughs> that uh, when she was meeting people, you know, after she retired and she met someone on Channel Seven, and they they referred to her as, "Oh, you're the you're the uh, swimmer that used to feed the ducks," because <laughs> <laughs> you know, like when Nicole Jeffries or Wayne Smith had asked me how she's going, I, I, I just come up with, you know, like she could have had the best preparation. And I'd just bring something from when she didn't have a good preparation and I'd bring it forward to now. So it's, oh, no, you know, she had a shoulder problem or an earache and missing sessions or I'd just say whatever. And once I, I, I did the duck story, well, that just, you just couldn't get rid of the duck story then. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's it's the art of war, isn't it, you know? Um, and... It's it's what Bennett does, you know, Bellamy's and and you know, all the good coaches in in whatever field can do. Mm. Um, but no, I, I never went through it with her, um, and and only recently, you know, we talked about how, uh, you know, that if it's meant to be, it'll be. Um, and I and I said to her, I said, Joe, that helped me just as much as it helped helped you. Yeah. Um, I only ask that because I've had a few really good ones myself or I've come up with something that's just been phenomenal. I don't even know how I came up with it. Get a fantastic performance and then later I'm so proud of myself that I can't help but tell the swimmer what, what I've done. Cause I did like, and they're really the only ones who are going to appreciate what's just happened, mm -hmm. as you know, because you're in that moment. So uh, I'm going to have to, as I get older and wiser, mate, I'll have to try and keep them in my pocket and not give away the secrets. But I can't help it. If I come up with something really good, I've got to share it somehow because I think, I don't even think I'm that good that I came up with that. I don't know how this has happened. You shot um, yourself. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. I did one. I'll give this secret, this uh, story away. I did one. I've got a um, uh, a Tongan boy who's mum's um, Tongan and, and his dad's uh, Maori. Anyway, he's um, related to Jonah Lomu. And, um, you know, who's, who's, you know, one of the greatest all blacks of all time now passed away. And anyway, we're getting ready for this swim at state and, um, and I've been struggling of finding ways to really get him fired up. He's just one of those really casual characters that, you know, he, he doesn't get too fired up at times. So I've, I've found this video on YouTube of Jonah Lomu just running through people. Just, just, you know what he was like. He just yeah, yeah. trample over people and make them look like it was an under eights game, and uh, and I've and it's literally just before he goes to to marshalling before he goes over, uh, we don't talk. I see. I've not got much to say, but just watch this. 
<clears throat> and uh, anyway, we watch this video and he's, he's watching his uncle just demolishing people. And, uh, and I just sort of looked at him after and I said, well, you know what to do now? And he just sort of nodded and walked away. Now, he's never swum as fast as he did in that 200 since. <laughs> and I, for the life of me, don't know how to come up with another <laughs> inspirational uh, moment like that. But uh, it was just one of those things that, um, you know, I didn't really think too much about it. I just thought, I reckon this will work because, you know, he's, the, he loves his family, no doubt. And, you know, Joan Nalomu is such an inspirational character to, to anyone, not just, you know, let alone his own family. So yeah. it's just one of those things, isn't it? Sometimes it works. Yeah. And that's like, I've, you know, we've all had, to, we've all done that. Um, and this is like with Joe, it was, it was coming the other way. Mm. And if I had have explained it to her, then I couldn't have used it again. Um, but, you know, like, 99% of athletes, you couldn't do that, you know, like I couldn't do that to Alice or Tani White or, you know, um, Rega or, or Janetta, you know. It was just something that it, it, the those anxieties and, and, and what was going on in her head, it, it just helped with that. Yeah. So, um, and it wasn't the last – that, that wasn't the last I was – going to be able to do that yeah in 2003 I had to do it again so mm. well it's just knowing your athletes isn't it which by this stage you know you, you had a really firm grip on on knowing you know Jody's personality talk to me in 2002 also did her family not move to Sydney yeah I, th I think it was I was trying to think about that the other day um and I think from it was just after the pan packs and uh basically yeah, to her credit, um, and fortunate for me, she, she didn't want to go. And her older sister, Kate, who used to swim, but, I mean, there, there was, I mean, she had some talent. Like, she'd rock up on school holidays, train a bit, and then go and win a state medal in breaststroke, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so her older sister, who's probably two years older than her, something like that, she was uh, staying in Brizzy, and then Jade said, I, I want to stay um, so I think it was, or I will, we'll give it six months, see how it goes, that sort of thing. Um, and, uh, but you know, and, and again, very loyal person, you know, um, and, um, yeah, it, it all worked out. Well, it's a big move in it, you know, when your yeah. family are moving more often than not, I'd say 99.9% of the time, uh, the athletes going, but, uh, this is one of those moments where obviously, She's trusting in the program and the process and she's got her goals as, along with you and she wants to stick around. Now, 2003, uh, in the lead up to the World Champs, talk to me about that. Yeah, so we had the, um, uh, we had the, uh, the trials and then off the back of the trials, we had, um, the, they picked the World Championship team and then we had the drill in the pool. And... Um, so that was the first jewel in the pool with the US and in Indianapolis, where they, where they do all their Olympic trials. Mm. So it's famous pool, quite exciting. Um, and this was a new concept. And um, anyway, so but the you know back then you know you had nine eleven in two thousand and one, and then in two thousand and two. Around Christmas, late in 2002, you had the Bali bombings. 
Um, yeah, it was around then. Yeah. So you had a lot of the terror type fear going on. And yeah, I can remember getting on planes going, oh, I hope we come back and, mm. you know, all that sort of stuff. And so with the drill in the pool, the swimmers didn't have to go. It was up to them. And we were in Cronulla for a couple of days before we got on the plane. And I, I think, I can't, I'm not sure, but I think there was about three or four of them that didn't go. Anyway, and she was one of them. She didn't want to go. And um, there was a lot of talk and backwards and forwards. And there was a stage there where I thought, oh, she's, she's going to go. But she didn't. And um, so off we went, went to, uh, did the drill in the pool. We were, as a country, we were going all right for about three quarters and America just smashed us and um, uh, came back. And um, when I got back, her hair was purple. And then, you know, that preparation was, um, it's funny, like, so I had, uh, Alice Mills was on that world's team and so Mel Horton was on that team. And here's something that, again, I, I look back on and, and think, what a special group. I um, it must have been early 2003. Um, they, Bruce Mason came out and did a, a, a stat and test. He'd done all this testing on caps and yeah, you know, the shape. So if if, if a girl had um, really long hair, that gave a drag efficiency of X. Whereas if compared to the males, shorter hair with the caps. And yeah, you know, back then the caps are just like training caps, you know. Um, I don't even know if they were silicon yet, but <laughs> still latex. Yeah. And uh, anyway, we were at training and the girls were going on about how they were so committed and stuff like that. <laughs> and I, yeah, I'm just talking as a group, you know, we're talking as a group. And I said, um, and I told this story to, to my squad probably a year or 18 months ago. Um, and I, I said, I come up with the Bruce Mason stats. I said, so if you're really committed, I mean, you know, how committed are you? <laughs> if you're really committed, you'd cut your hair. Because, you know, if you, if you get beaten by 0.01 and you didn't cut your hair, well, you know, so that's how, how far are you willing to go? But anyway, so maybe a week, two weeks goes on. No one ever talked about it again, but they all rocked up one day and they all cut their hair. <laughs> they all had these bobs. Yeah. So, she, so she goes to the worlds with a purple bod. But anyway, you look at the photos now, and and I, you know, I see all the haircuts, and that's how committed they all were. You know, they were a great group, and it, and it wasn't just the three that made the team. The, the other three, you know, I had about six or seven of them that were sort of at that open national, you know, fast level, and all, all of them. You know, so yeah, and yeah. It hasn't happened since. I've never had a group. I've told the story plenty of times. I've, I've had a few people cut some parts of their hair off. Yeah. But, you know, like yeah, good memories. But um, the 
I, I come back and, and she's got purple hair. She had a dreadful preparation. Simon Cusack was with me that year. That it was the winter, you know, because it's obviously world champs are sort of you know late July, August sort of time period. And Chandler was uh, we couldn't use the Chandler 50 meter pool because they were digging out the bulkhead because they're trying to make it so that they could you know make a short course pool mm-hmm. with the boom gate and everything. So they had to dig out the bulkhead. So the morning we trained in the dive pool, which is 26.3 meters long for anyone that didn't know that. Uh, no blocks. And then of an afternoon, we got some lane space. And it, luckily it was winter and not too busy down at Morton Bay. And um, so we trained down at Morton Bay of an afternoon uh, at the college, girls college there. And Simon had come in and uh, he spent, I don't know how many weeks with me for that prep, but we got to Barcelona and, and, you know, just one of those preparations were just everything. She didn't go to the U S you know, we had to kick for a week. She hurt her shoulder. Looking back, probably didn't hurt her actually. Um, you know, she had ear aches, all, all sorts of stuff. It was just one of these really bad, you know, three out of 10 type preps. On the other hand, Alice uh, was, she just had an awesome preparation, you know. So, um, but we get to Barcelona and I can remember saying to her, she was in the final um, and I said, look, by rights, you shouldn't even be here. <laughs> but um, with your prep, but you're here now and you just got to race, you know. And, and I, in those times, and because I talked about the importance of racing and being a racer for so long, uh, and she'd come up through all of that. She could draw on that, you know, and um, uh, and and she got silver at the World Champs in in '03 to, to Hannah Maria Sapala from Finland. Yeah, well, it's interesting, you know, we're starting to see that sort of progression in Jody's swimming career just through these conversations, aren't we? We're starting to see her starting to grow in confidence, mature a little bit. Um, being put in situations where maybe had she had been in this situation three years earlier, you know, the, the reaction, you know, and the way she went about, you know, handling those might not have been the same. Yeah. And the thing that, you know, I've, I always try to, and, and this is, you know, when we talk about Dave Elson, you know, the, the coach I was wanting to be or thought I needed to be was to have this squad that just trained super hard. And if everything went perfect, then you were going to get the result. And um, it, it morphed into the importance is about racing. And I never, yeah, so in the 90s, I always talked about training. And I had a squad of great trainers who got nervous if everything didn't go perfect. Mm on race for the race. So if they had a bad prep, they couldn't compete. From 2000 onwards, I just talked about being a racer, no matter how training had been. So I was trying to create uh, an athlete who didn't have to have the perfect prep to be dangerous or to win. And she, she was morphing into that because, um, and 
you know, you need those. Actually, looking back, you need the bad preps for the and then you know get up and, and race. And sure, she didn't, you know, she didn't swim any faster in 03 than she did in 02, but the preparations were totally different. Mm. And it's these it's building, isn't it? Because you don't know what 04 is going to look like. And if she had had a bad prep for 04, you want an athlete who can still get up and race. Yeah. Um, but like a racing car that it needs to be perfect for it to win or, you know, the driver had to, yeah, okay, well, this isn't right today, but I can still drive the car and we can still race, win the race. Yeah. That's what I was trying to create, you know, and that's, that was the challenges that Dave was talking about where I was on this pathway of, you know, utopia, whatever, that is not the real world. Mm. So, um, we were trying to make real, real athletes who can be hard to beat no matter what. So I want to double down on that because there's going to be a lot of coaches, much like myself, who really liked what you just said in terms of, you know, learning how to to race under any pressure and, and building that. How as a coach did you do that? Were you putting them in situations that was going to make them uncomfortable? Uh, were you doing stuff in terms of like maybe a state championships, throwing them in extra events or doing things outside? You know, you're going to do this race today. Well, I don't normally do that race. Yeah, but we're going to do it anyway and see how you go. What what were you doing to to help sort of um, build that character in them that, you know, we know in 2004 what, what goes on to happen? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's taking opportunities when they arise. But I think what has to happen is – the chat has to start in the daily training environment. So, because that's, you're there every day yeah. and that's where the foundation is going to be created. And so, you know, when coaches say, yeah, they just want great, a great trainer. Well, careful what you wish for. You know, so, you know I've described, so Jode, if she was a car, she'd be a Ferrari. Not, you know, not always going to start during the week. But yeah. You want to be in that Ferrari on the weekend. You yeah. don't want a, a Commodore that always starts or, you know, maybe I should say golf, you know, <laughs> always starts but just ain't going to quite cut it on the weekend, you know. Yeah. So careful what you wish for. So it, it started in the daily training environment. So it started from the horse's mouth. It started from me changing how I was talking how I was coaching from an attitude point of view. And, you know, the rule was if you walk through those doors, be ready to train. If you don't want to come training, don't. But if you come to training, then I expect you to put in. And, yeah. and, and you know, I went from a coach who used to worry why people weren't there or if people didn't do their number of sessions to a coach who – didn't care. I only cared about the people who were in front of me. And, um, and, and the rule was for everyone. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, I'm not going to go, yeah, it's okay for Jody to miss and everyone else has got to be. No, no, it was just one blanket rule. And because the beauty of, you know, coaching her, the club and the squad around her enabled her. To, to to exist does that yeah. make sense like 
I wasn't putting, so even if I wanted her to hear something, I'd say it to the squad and she would hear it. Yeah. But it's different than pulling her aside and only saying it to her. And everything was about team. Everything was about the club. Everything was about relays. And she, that's where she liked to be. She liked to be in the shadow. She didn't want to be under the spotlight. Mm. She was comfortable in that shadow. So, um, and then when we'd go to meets, how I would change things. Yeah, like you do different things. I, I call them curveballs. So when I was at the AOS, I used to do this. We'd go overseas and, you know, say that Man Ostrom series was, um, you know, three meets. Things were all going good for the first two meets. I remember one year we got to Barcelona. We travelled all day. Everyone was off to the pool and I didn't allow them to go. Shouldn't we be going to the pool and loosen up? Yeah, yeah, we should, but we're not. And, you know, and then they ask why, and we say, well, one day this might happen. And other times we would, all right, no warm-up. I remember John Fowley doing this with Felicity Galvez. He didn't let her warm up. And another time he didn't rock up to the pool. So we just wanted to see how long would it be before she would get up Anyway, he was in the grandstand. She just she didn't know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> she comes over to me and goes, "I think John hasn't turned up." You know? <laughs> uh, what are you going to do? You know. So yeah. I so anyway, she got in, warmed up. I helped her, but you know, it's just stuff like that. Not making things perfect all the time. And I remember, you know, if, if club coaches and stuff like this, yeah, you know, I was pushing the boundaries a little bit. And we were it was a week it was a week before the Brisbane Championships. And there was a meet, uh, it was down at the Cleveland pool where Ash Callis came from. Anyway, so I said, all right, it was an outdoor pool. And I don't know if it was my idea or it was one of their ideas, but I okayed it. I said, oh, could we race in bikinis? I said, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, boy. Jeez, I tell you what. <laughs> they swam so slow. <laughs> I couldn't believe how slow they swam. And uh, I, I scared myself a bit, you know. Um, but anyway, the next week was Brisbane champs and they were fine. But, uh, yeah, I, I think it's it, it's great to do. It needs to be done. doesn't happen enough. Um, yeah, it's one of my bugbearers now. Your parents, you know, you have a swim meet every month here in Canberra and, you know, um, it doesn't happen in my squad. But I remember when I was – Canberra Club when it's um, back in 2015, 16. Yeah, little Johnny would do big PB. The next month they do the event and it's about the same and the parents are disappointed, you know. Like parents are just got to drop their kids off and let the coach do things, you know. The parent doesn't know what you've been doing in training, how hard they've been working, where you want them, you know, all of those factors. And all they're doing is restricting the creativity of coaches. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because even now as we're evolving as coaches, I know myself, I try and 
Um, and I think we've talked about this before. I try and educate the, the parents as much as I can, giving them a little bit of an insight without, you know, telling them too much because there's no need to to give away too much. But just things like, uh, you know, we've got metros this weekend. We're not tapering for it. So don't expect super big PBs. This is just a part of the progression to, yeah. to where we're going to get to. So we're giving them a little bit, but but not giving them too much, right? Yeah, I think, you know, Ken Woods just said to me years ago, the KISS theory, you know, keep it simple, stupid. You got to tell them as much as you need to. Um, but, uh, yeah, in my experience, the best parents are the ones that just let you, let you do it. Mm. They're not that involved, you know. Yeah. They're there to support their kids. And that's the thing, you know, uh, Janelle and Gary were just super parents with her. Um, they just wanted to, to swim. They knew she was good at it. Um, it was good for her and they they were happy, yeah? Yeah. I think even um, just talking to Susie O'Neill last year, I think her parents were very much the same. She said, you know, they'd still come and watch me race and they were always proud of me, she said, but never did they realise, like, no one had a stopwatch or no one was saying, oh, that, you know, that was a good time. Is that a right? Like they were sort of oblivious to that sort of stuff, she said, which is crazy these days, but she said, oh, I really enjoyed it because it was uh, – it was refreshing. Now, mate, let's move on to 2004, and I don't want to get too bogged down. And obviously, for anybody who wants to hear all about 2004 Athens Olympics, they can go back and listen to, to last week's episode if they haven't already. Um, you know, two hours of just awesome content in terms of talking about the lead up to it and, you know, everything that went on at, at Athens and, and the follow on from it. But no doubt, we're talking about Jody, and this is a massive moment for Jody. Really, everything changes for Jody at this point, doesn't it? Yeah, um, and she really didn't recognise it um, in the moment. Um, one of the things she, uh, she had a sponsor, a manager in 03, um, and that wasn't working out. Uh, and we, I met Rob Woodhouse, um, and he took over her management. Um, end of 03, beginning of, it was probably the beginning of 04, actually. And um, he was very good. He was managing Susie O'Neill. Funny you should just mention her. Mm-hmm. Um, and he came up and we, we met and he then, and we chatted. And, and all he wanted to know, what was she like? And, and, and you know, I told, her, I told him what she was like. And he said, oh, she sounds very similar to Susie, actually. And, um and then he came out and watched the train and uh, and then she went into the Olympics without a sponsor. So she had a manager, but without any sponsorship, apart from what she already had, which was Adidas. Mm. Um, and uh, so, you know, I, you refer her as a clean skin, you know, um, no sign-up deals. Adidas was just a pair of, pair of swimmers, you know. Yeah. Um, wasn't a Ian Thorpe type deal or anything like that. So um, the uh, and then she wins it, and I think she was going to go come home. And I said to Rob, "Oh, she's thinking about coming home and that." And uh, anyway, and he said, "Oh, it's just going off here. Like it's. I think she should stay a little bit longer, or blah 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 blah. You know, get things ready and and." Um, and I, I said to her, I said, Joe, it's all about the change. This is it. 
like this hasn't happened since Sean Fraser. So um, yeah, um, and uh, and it did. She, you know, she got some, you know, very big sponsorship um, back then, and he, it was good because they were they were big sponsors, but not too many. So I think in the end she had like four. So, but um, it certainly changed. You know, came back. And I, I went to Athens knowing I was um, going to put in for the AIS job. And, um, uh, yeah, I just felt, yeah, look, yeah, I, I, I was tired, you know. Um, the, yeah, just the 11, nearly 12 years of, at Chandler um, and, yeah, I should have taken breaks, you know, but you know what it's like in coaching. Um, so for me, I, I didn't know whether Alice and Jody were going to follow me to, to Canberra and certainly wasn't banking on it. So I coached them like I was never going to coach them again, you know. Mm. Um, and then uh, when, when we came back, I, I told them the news. I, you know, I came down, did the interview, got the job, and um, I, was, I was moving to Canberra, so which was a shock for them. Um, and yeah, everyone, you know, the club, Queensland Swimming, the whole lot. I'm interested in a couple of things you just mentioned there. A, with the sponsorship deals that came Jody's way, how did she handle that? Obviously, she's not, uh, you know, overly, overly sort of. Uh, an extrovert. It's not as if she's, you know, mm. as you said, says very similar to you, by the way, who didn't want the podcast named after him. She, <laughs> she doesn't want the, the, you know, the limelight. She's happy to do the work and, and she'll work her, her backside off. But in terms of, you know, getting out there and sort of pumping her own tires up, it's not really her go. How did she go handling that sort of newfound fame and having these, you know, things that she needed to promote and, and work with? Yeah, you know, she was 20 um, and I, I sort of describe it like our relationship changed because, you know, up until that point, you know, if, if we talked, if we say it's, it's a bus, right, and her and I are both at the front of the bus and we're both involved, we're both on this journey we're both trying, you know, she wants to achieve something. I'm trying to help her. Um, and then everyone else all of a sudden, she, she wins, you know, she gets the results at the Olympics, three gold, three world records, and everyone else, all of a sudden, everyone's involved. Mm. Everybody's latching on. And I went from the front of the bus. I didn't even get a gig at, at the back of the bus. I, I was just somewhere in the middle. And my voice just got smaller, you know, and she had commitments, but, you know, that, they, they were good. It wasn't daunting or anything that I thought that um, it, it was that she couldn't handle, but just the people in her ear, um, you know, I'm trying to get her to continue to swim fast and, they're, they wanted to swim fast, but their motivations in other areas, you know. Mm. So it gets it's it definitely starts getting tricky. And what we planned for 05 just to be 
see, like if I remember correctly, Thorpey had a year off and I didn't think that would be good for her because I thought, not because I didn't think she could physically have a year off, but I thought if she took a break totally, coming back would, would be a lot of pressure. So I didn't, that, that was my read on it. Mm. So I sort of put to her that 05, she would swim, but yeah, we weren't trying to make the team from a um, win the world championships or anything like that. It was, it was be on the team, mm. maybe as a relay swimmer. She's still in the sport and contractually, I think from a sponsorship that was in there anyway, um, but try to take the pressure off her um, and just get through with all the changes. Um, and I can remember saying it to Alice and, uh, and, and Mel who came and Tony White um, who came down, uh, about five of them I think came down. Um, I said, look, yeah, it's January 05, trials are in a couple of months. We've all had big changes. Let's not put any pressure on ourselves. Let's just see what happens, you know. Um, and she went, they went to the trials and Alice and Alice had a, a meet of her life. Um, well, probably not the meet of her life, but she swam very fast. She went 25, uh, 24, four for the 53. She won that. She went, uh, 53, uh, eight or 53, nine. She won that. And Jody came second and Libby Blanton finished third. So, so they went, you know, they both swam at the world champs um, and and then uh, Jodie went on and she won those world champs. Mm. So. It's interesting. I just want to circle back to, and it's something that I don't think any other coach, unless you've coached obviously an Olympic champion uh, is going to really understand, but it just reminded me of when I spoke to Bob Bowman about, um, you know, him and, and Michael's relationship in terms of sponsorship deals and things like that. And obviously Michael's in a, another stratosphere of his own in terms of, you know, people grabbing him and, and wanting him to, yeah. you know, endorse this or do this. But, you know, he, he was very much saying that, you know, they they have that sort of team mentality that everything still goes through Bob um, and, and himself. And that's always, you know, it has to go through those channels. And obviously maybe not so much these days. I'm sure Bob's still involved uh, in some way, shape or form in, in terms of his life and his, his dealings. But certainly when he swam, it was really important to Bob that things channeled through him as well. So he knew that he, you know, Michael was training when he needed to be training, not getting pulled off to do a, you know, some sort of ad for, uh, for whoever it was. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like, yeah, for those for those swimmers that won gold medals and their coaches in Tokyo, um, yeah, there'll be commitments now. So whether all of them are at the same level, um, we'll, only time will tell from a commitment point and a sponsorship point. I mean, there's no doubt, um, yeah, yeah, Jody was... Um, the female Ian Thorpe, from a from that point of view, you know, um, for, from uh, she had the, the biggest deals in the country from a swimming point of view, and um, you know, when you're 20 years of age and you've got no, no sponsors, and then all of a sudden you've got these, and, and there's this you know, stack of money behind mm. it. it. It's hard for anyone to, you know, yeah. You know, what's what's that saying? Staying at the top's harder than getting there, and it's. 
And it's all of those things that are involved. And then as a coach, you've got to deal with that as well. You know, that's the first time I had to deal with it. Um, and you're trying to give leeway and not be this stereotype guy. The other thing that made it difficult was, you know, the different environment, you know. I often wonder what it would have been like if we had stayed at Chandler. Um, and in, in some ways it would have been more difficult, um, but in other ways it would have been easier. Yeah. Well, it's interesting. I'm glad you brought up, obviously, the Tokyo coaches because that's – you know, that's going to happen now, isn't it? Where you've got these swimmers who are going to have other commitments and, oh, I've got this magazine shoot and I've got these things coming up and we, we don't want to stop the swimmers from earning a living because Lord knows, and you know more than me, that swimmers don't really get an awful lot of money for the effort and the time that they put in. So we don't want to take them away from that. But at the end of the day, that they're still going to be doing the work, don't they, to, to get the yeah. rewards that they need. So it's a, it's a fine balance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the, the the tricky bit was, you know, I was going into an environment where there's other coaches and obviously I had my, my you know, what I just talked about, this racing ethos. And, but we went into a, an environment and like a lot of environments probably, but definitely back then, training. So that was tricky going into the AIS because um, we were on a different planet to to other squads, and, and you know there was we, we we went in there so we were one of three four squads, <laughs> and and we're yeah, the, the yin and the yang. There's three yings and one yang, you know, <laughs> and um, I, I was I was quite conscious of that, you know. And then when mate, I get, sorry. Yeah. No, no, you're right. Uh, mate, I was going to ask, um, Cecil Colwyn from the US does a stroke analysis around this yeah. time, 2005 or 2006. Talk to me about that. Do you still have it? And, and what did you learn from that? Yeah, I still got it, actually. Um, yeah, I could read it out if you wanted, but uh, uh, he thought, yeah, he really liked a stroke. Um uh, yeah, as he points out, it was interesting that, yeah, she was thumb first entry. Uh, he, he questioned, he, yeah, really tight kick. And he thought, like it's written here, like possibly an eight beat kick. Mm. Um, great internal rotation uh, at the top of the stroke and um, very flat through the hips. So everything that we, you know, developed, he just saw it and, and, it was completely different freestyle to the Americans, completely different. Uh, the American girls, you look at the underwater footage of the relay and you watched um, Jody, Alice, and even Libby, completely different to the American girls underwater. Patria Thomas was similar to the American girls. Um, but those three girls were swimming a completely different freestyle. So. so did you adopt anything from, from what you learned from that? Did you start to try and implement anything or were you quite happy with sort of where her technique was at this stage? Yeah, I was, um, I was quite happy with it. 
the um, um, hit, I mean, the eight-beat kick was the only thing that sort of surprised me. Um, it was just confirmation, really. Uh, and I remember we, you know, it was AOS, and um, we we exchanged emails and questions and stuff like that, and you know, how did it form and all that sort of stuff. But it, nothing that um, uh, that that shocked me apart from the eight-beat kick. It's interesting, isn't it? You say there, sort of, you know, confirm what you already thought, you know, was was in place anyway, and you felt comfortable after that. It's important, isn't it, as a coach, when you're learning and you're going through these professional developments that, yes, we're seeking things that we don't know, but it's also good to hear things that you, you're you doing yourself in your own program to reaffirm, okay, well, I, I think I'm on the right track then. If You know, so, for example, like, you know, quite often me just sitting talking to you, you know, and you say something and I think, oh, shit, that's good because I already do that and that's how I think as well, sort of reaffirms, well, if, you know, if Shannon thinks that way, then obviously it's not a bad way to think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, confirmation, isn't it, you know, and, you know, with the biomechanics guys and stuff, if they come in and that, you know, rarely do, are you surprised by something, you know, um, and if you were, you're probably not looking enough, you know, mm. so... Um, I always see that as, uh, is, it, is it, am I seeing this the right way? And so it's confirmation, you know? So. Yeah. I like when you're trying to see things there that you really squint hard. You might put your glasses back on, mate. It might have helped. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mate. What about 2006? Um, a bit of a change here for, for yourself and, and for Jody and her career. Um, we've obviously got Melbourne Commonwealth Games in 2006 as well. Talk me through that year. Yeah, so that was a real um, uh, tricky year. The, the Melbourne Commonwealth Games were early, so it was late 05 that um, the trials were on, if I remember uh, correctly, because it was funny because 07 was in Melbourne as well, and I remember... The trials for 07 was in Brisbane, late 06. So I, I presume it was similar. Anyway, so she makes the team for Melbourne. I had a really good meet um, and I think I had like six on the team. And anyway, th things were getting uh, strained, I suppose. And yeah, Doug... Yeah, she, she'd go back to Brisbane on the weekend and then not come in until Monday, you know, miss Monday morning, come in Monday afternoon. And, you know, Doug would be there and he'd be like, Shannon, she's not here training. Yeah, he'd just be in my ear. Yeah. And then um, you're the head coach. Yeah, they made me the head coach of the AIS. So, you know, whether correct or, or not correct, you, you've got this pressure on you. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, Belinda Hocking had come into the program then and Angie Bainbridge and they're in the squad and, you know, oh, yeah, Jody Henry, I, I remember Jody had had a break, came back, um, and Angie was trained in the house there and she was fit as all, anyway, Jody had four weeks off or something. First session and Angie's like, yo, you go, you go, you know. Mm -hmm. Jody's like, ah, yeah, blah, blah, blah. But the, 
the impact that being an Olympic champion had on a young 16 year old, I'll never forget. And I even saw that when we were at a swim meet up in Sydney, um, just get in the, in the lane, you know, in the warm up pool and almost the lane, you know, just parting the, the way for her, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, so we were at loggerheads because of a various number of things. And, and I said, look, in the end, I, I said, I, I don't think we, I think we need a break. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I mentioned John Fowley, did you get trained with John's squad? John, he had, I think I had about eight or nine and he had like three. So there was plenty of room for her to go and, and sort of, I was pretty confident it'd suit. And I remember walking over and knocked on Peter Fricker, the director of the AOS, and, and said what had happened that, uh, and he said, oh, does this, what does this mean? Is she out of the AOS? And I said, no, no, no. AOS is bigger than me, you know. So so they were happy that she was continued and um, and she trained with John. And um, <laughs> she probably did this just to get me, you know, <laughs> turned up to every session, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, anyway, she, she swam well at the Commonwealth Games. Um, I think Libby got her, though. Libby had a great meet mm. at that meet and, and broke a world record, if I remember. Um, I think she did. She broke the world record. So um, uh, she went 53-4. Uh, and then off the back of that, that, that was like, March or something like that. Off the back of that, went to the Mayor Nostrum and she wasn't swimming well by then, um, which I, I was quite surprised. Um, and it's interesting, in 2006, I, I started working with Damien Farrow, who's skill acquisition, and his background was AFL and, and tennis. He was, I think he was a tennis player, but he was working with Adelaide Crows. Anyway, he was, he was at the AIS um, and a fellow from New Zealand, Neil Fleming, was doing a lecture on Skillac. And by absolute chance encounter with him, I got chatting to him and I was, it really sparked an interest in me. And um, so I always reckon there's a bit of a gap with biomet, you know, identifying a problem is one thing. But how do you change it? How do you change a pattern that's been done for how many years? Mm. Um, so I started working with Damien and it was interesting. Um, John, like, uh, I, I couldn't do this as a coach. Like, uh, I think you've got to start going a bit better. Um, and, and they did like, I don't know, a hundred starts a week, something like that. John was really good at just nailing something, you know, just, um, great in that skill area. And um, and was doing a lot of stroke stuff with her. And Damien Farrow, he started and we were chatting a lot and he was on pool deck with me and he said, oh, you know, how's Jody and John going? I said, oh, yeah, going good. So this was before we'd gone to the main Ostrom. And I said, oh, doing a lot of stroke work with her and technique. 
And he said, is that different to, how is that different to what you did with that? And I said, well, we did stroke work, but we did it in, you know, this was our environment at Chandler was X amount of swimmers. And if I wanted to change something, I'd do a drill to change it, to get what I wanted. Yeah. And he said, oh, that's in, that's intrinsic coaching. And I said, oh, what's, what's that? He said, oh, yeah, intrinsic coaching is when the athlete does it. Um, and the thing about intrinsic learning is um, it ha- holds up under pressure. Mm. So the environment, you know, because that was, you couldn't, you couldn't just single out one or two people without you know, all these parents in at you. Yeah. So, so I very much coached the squad, you know, and I'd look back, you know, from most my juniors and I, and we were doing butterfly and the hips weren't getting up high enough. I'd stop it and we'd do a drill that helped get the hips up. So that's yeah. how I sort of coached a lot. And, um, and, and so I learned a lot off Damien and, Anyway, so we go to Men Ostrom and she she swims terrible. Like she's coming home in 29s. And um, yeah, Bernie Mulroy pulled me aside and he said, Shane, you know, you've got to coach her. And uh, I said, I she doesn't want to, she doesn't want me to coach her, you know. And mm-hmm. um, and you can't coach someone who doesn't doesn't want it. And uh, Anyway, so a little bit of time went by and more people started saying that. And um, John knew a stroke was gone, but he didn't know how. Yeah. And I, I said, do you want – he came to me and he – and uh, he, I said, do you want me to, you know, have a look at it? And, and uh, he said, yeah, yeah. So I went, you know, I spent a little bit of time with her and um 10 15 minutes whatever and um i just said to her i said Jody, are you happy and and she said no and i said do you want to come you know start back and she and she said yep yeah. so so yeah it was about six months all up probably and then so we got ready then for the world champs and basically what happened technically um her, her, she was just moving her hips too much and um the big key for her um, her particularly was in her recovery. She had to push her elbow forward, and she was dropping her elbow early, mm-hmm. and then her hips started rotating earlier. Um, so yeah, so it, it, I, I knew uh, once I had a good look at it how to change it because I'd spent so many years with her. You know. Yeah, I was going to say I, I wouldn't imagine that was something new to you. That sort of issue that's obviously something that's been a a deficiency within her stroke for quite a while when she gets fatigued yeah um it's funny that when when she came back she said she said that's funny um i did heaps of stroke work with john and my stroke went bad and we didn't do any stroke work with you (laughs) (laughs) she was always doing stroke work you know yeah like I, we were always doing drills. It's like the foundation of, of my program, and um, and I I wouldn't let technique go bad, you know. So if if we were doing fifties on a certain cycle, if the technically wasn't doing it the way I wanted, I'd slow the cycle down. Mm. So I was con- 
constantly manipulating to protect the stroke. Um, so, yeah, funny. It's- yeah, no, for sure. Especially, yeah, you're like, oh, we've never done technique with you, even <laughs> though our whole career it, it has been done. You just disguised it well, mate. Just quickly, I want to talk, we mentioned before that the Mare Nostrum tour, uh, it's something probably these days that doesn't get discussed enough. Um, it was sort of more prevalent back back in the day that, that Aussies would go over there and, and send teams and be amongst it. Do you think we, we should be doing more of that? Obviously, it's hard in COVID time, so I'm not saying now, so yeah. people can calm down. Say, oh, Robbie doesn't know what he's talking about. Send him over now. We can't fly out. I understand that. But when we can, when we can, do you think uh, we, we should be doing more of it? Uh, without question. Um, my first man, Ostrom, was 1995. Was twenty three, and um, you know, so it's an you know for those who don't know, it's an international swim swim meet put on by um, uh, Prince Albert um, of Monaco, mm. and uh, so you race. So back in the nineties, up until probably oh two was the last time Rome was involved. There was four meets, and it's you know it was Rome, Monaco. Barcelona and Canae, which is uh, on the Mediterranean um, in France. And you, you go to your first meet and your you bus will fly around. And um, so, and it's a, it's a swim meet like you'd have the state champs, you know, you've got a swim down pool, not all, back in the early days, it was not, not, not all pools had a swim down pool, but Somewhere a 15 meter pool. You know, warm ups. I remember the first time I went to Monaco, the warm up, well, you could have run across the pool. There's so many people in it. <laughs> <laughs> Throughout, no warm up, just get in, get wet, don't get injured. Don't, you know, it's sort of the thing. And um, it's just all these different things that that goes on for that swimmers have to deal with, you have to deal with as a, as a coach. But the other thing, you get up real close in person, you know. Like you, if you wanted to go and watch Alex Alex Popov swim, you, you could just go and stand behind the lane, watch him swim up and down the pool in the race close, but in the in a in a warm up swim down. And if you didn't quite get it at the next meet, you can go watch him again, mm. or you know Sarah Sostrom or um, anybody. You know the you know Florence Manadou, um, his sister. What was his sister's name? Um, she was the Olympic champion, the 400 and world champion, 05. She was a brilliant swimmer. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, from a coaching, the, the knowledge and, that you see. And, you know, so if you, if you, so 14 times I've been to the Man Nostrum. So if you, if you just went twice and you always went twice, sometimes it was three, you know, that's 28 international swim meets that you've watched racing without um and and it's not a and you get to chat to people you get to talk to the coach you get to see things when you go to a worlds or an olympics it's just different you know it's yeah people are doing their thing you're not um you're not watching every yeah you're not you're just doing your whatever you've got to do at that point you know so i i think yeah, it's a great place to cut your teeth for an athlete and also a coach, you know. Um, 
the, the amount of information I've come back with and, and just, you know, talking about intrinsic learning, just watching and, and listening, you know, you go out for pizza and, and you just, you know, you could be one of five, six coaches, all international, and you just sit there listening to what they're talking about. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the problem. That's the, that's the biggest issue I see with, with our setup with that five weeks is that we negate that experience for the next generation of swimmers and coaches. Um, I think, is her name Laurie Manadu? Laura Manadu, yes, yeah. exactly. I just Googled it, mate. That's what I was, I know you, you could see me doing something. You're probably thinking, what's he doing? Is he even paying attention to me? I was Googling. <laughs> um, and, and the other thing, obviously we've got the ISL now that that's on, which is, you know, fast and furious and great race experience, but it is kind of hard, I guess, to get involved in that as a coach or as a swimmer, because you've only got so many teams and so many coaches are going to be in those teams. So it's not quite the same uh, as the, as the Mare Nostrum tour, but yeah, I just think, as you said, you know, it's something that probably doesn't get done enough these days. And certainly once COVID's over, I think it'd be really good, especially for those younger swimmers coming through to, to be getting over and, and getting amongst it. Um, mate, just before we, we start to get towards the end of JD's career here, what about 2007 world champs? Yeah. Um, so trained really well, made, made the team for the worlds, um, got an individual spot in the 50 and the hundred. So a lot of times you never got to do the individual 50 at a major. Um, so, uh, so that was good. And she prepared well. Britta Stefan was on the scene by that stage. And um, we're in Melbourne and we're in that one of those drop, drop down pools, you know, because it was where the tennis was. And um, the, yeah, I mean, was it 2013? people's I remember Ben Titley <laughs> Ben Titley was onto it before anyone was onto it and he, he came to me and he said there's something wrong with the with the lanes and you know it's that infamous current you mm. know so but no one was talking about it back in 07 I remember she had she had like lane two or something for the final uh, was swimming good and Anyway, because she was a back-end type swimmer. And I remember, I, 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 I just didn't know what had gone on. Um, home slow. And I remember looking at the footage and Libby went out fast and was leading and she was in the centre of the pool. But it was like this huge bow wave. It was, it was like a boat was in, in the pool. Yeah. And she, she came, she, when she came back, she said, oh, I just kept hitting waves. And you could see it when you looked at the footage. And I, I, I've only thought of it in recent years. I wonder if, if yeah, because there's definitely something wrong with those Mirtha pools, those drop-in pools. Like, was, was that, you know, the beginning of, and we just weren't picking it up. Yeah. You know? So, because, like, in Barcelona in 2013, one side of the pool was fast one way and the other side of the pool was fast the other way. And the middle lanes were the normal lanes. Yeah. So if you were in a 50 and you were in lane one, I remember Rega, she go, she broke the national record and she was like, I don't even 
she was like ranked 12th or something for the 50. So she, she went first time under 31, she went 30.7 and look, look good. You know, like, whew, she's in it here. Mm. So ends up getting lane two for the final. She was in lane seven or eight for the heat or the semi. Gets lane two. Well, lane two is no good going for the 50. <laughs> you know, I remember Ben Titley, he had, the, he had all the stats. And yeah. he was right by the end. Like no one was winning medals from these lanes, you know. And that reminds people, me, mate, of um, when my swimmers are going really fast on the way back or whatever. I'm like, what is this? Is this? Are we going downhill this way? Why all of a sudden are you guys going so much faster this way than you, you're going the opposite way? Yeah, I've got a good story um, for our next podcast when we talk about Denmark. Um, there's without question, there's currents in up in Scandinavia. mate what talk to me about i'm interested obviously just bringing you know jody forward to to today's environment of swimming if jody was still swimming today um you know fighting fit if if the 2004 jody henry say was swimming today would she still be a hundred freestyler do you think do you think the the speed has changed in terms of what the girls are going out now, no doubt she's she's going to steam home like a like a train. We know that. W- would that have changed anything? Would she now be a two hundred freestyler? Yeah. Look, um, interesting. Like she wanted to be a fifty freestyler, um, and that wasn't going to happen. And he, here's here's the thing: like she wanted to win because. She could have been an international 50 freestyler. That was no doubt. But when I said to her, Joe, you won't win the 50. Your start's not good enough. Mm. Um, so she went to, she, uh, okay, what can I win? Uh, the 100. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you think with that mindset, would she have, if she couldn't win the 100, would she go out to the 200? She's definitely capable of the 200. Um, she went 159.2 at the 2004 trials in the heat with a 127.0 feet on the wall. Anyway, she was so far in front, came home in 32 something, you know, she just backed it off. Mm. I said, what'd you slow down for? She said, I was so far in front. I said, yeah, but you're supposed to be putting a time on the board so that you can get in the relay if you don't get the individual 100. Ah, well, you know. Anyway, you you think about it, like 158 won the Olympics, Mm. so. But I'm not saying she would have done the double there because she wouldn't have backed up and blah, blah, blah. But um, she's definitely, my point is, she's definitely capable of it. Um, and I think if she was swimming today, the suit's better, the lane ropes are bigger, you got a starting block that's got a kicker, that would have helped her to no, no end. Uh, she'd definitely be coming home, like, yeah, she'd be coming home in 26. Yeah. Because I'm a better coach now, I would have been able to teach her a better turn. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I should be still in it. Yeah, it's it, it's it's foolish, isn't it? I, I, you see some stuff on Swim Sam, and people are going, "Oh, you know, who's the best of this or that?" Different eras. Um, I, I wish swimming would just keep the rules the same, so that we could just. A bit, bit more like athletics, where you know you can. A Sebastian Coe from 1980, 84, or Herb Elliott, 
you know, what was the stat with him? He, he would have won an Olympic medal for the next 20 Olympics or 10 Olympics or something. Um, mm. And Sebastian Coe's time in 8084 is still relevant. So, so yeah, um, I, yeah, I love the selling of the race, you know, uh, more so than the time. But she'd be definitely, you know, in amongst it. Uh, the interesting, yeah, you just, you just got to watch what people do when they're training on those camps. She's, she's swimming right in there with them training-wise. Mm. I had, had that in, uh, conversation when I was in the UK with the Norwegians. We were at Tenerife and we were having a beer and um, the head coach of Norway and, and uh, these two other guys we were talking about the suits and he said it back then. So this is like 20, early 2018. He said, the suits are changing. He felt that they were getting back close to the 09 type suit um, because he, he was getting swimmers that were swimming times where they couldn't do certain things in training that his previous swimmers could, yet they're, they're swimming a second faster over 100 metres, you know. Yeah, he says just something's not adding up, you know. So, um, yeah, but uh, you know, the other thing that we haven't talked about, but it's something that I've noticed over these, like the, there's the women's teams got taller, mm. and women's swimming's got, you know, uh, I always felt that as the tra training changed from the '90s through to the 2000s, the, 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 the women's team got taller. Uh, Jodie was 177, so not a tall girl, but she wasn't short you know, in her day, but she was swimming now. She'd probably be, I don't even know if she'd be in the top half. But, um, yeah. yeah, I think a lot of that, the way swimming training has changed has allowed our taller athletes to stay in the sport. I think it's the training's been friendlier. Um, and it's something that I, I saw in the UK as well. Uh, the UK, I felt, was sort of more like our 90s type training. And uh, they, had, they, they had short women. Yeah. Well, you mentioned there in terms of, you know, you get excited for the race itself and those sort of that competition. Uh, no doubt, you know, through Jody's time coming through, and as I said to you in the first podcast, this was definitely my bread and butter era of, of you know, loving swimming and watching swimming. And, you know, whether it was domestically watching Jody take on Libby and Alice and Sarah Ryan, and, uh, you know, there were so many of, of the Aussie girls in there, but then we go to international meets and um, you've got Inga De Bruyne and Natalie Coughlin and these sort of swimmers and the French swimmers and, um what, who were some of Jody's biggest rivals, do you think, in the pool, both domestically and internationally? Well, domestically, um, yeah, Libby and Alice. Um, and then, yeah, obviously when she was coming through, she looked up to Sarah Ryan. Um, but uh, so from that 02 period on, it was definitely uh, Libby and Alice. Internationally, Natalie Coughlin, Inga de Bruin, um, Jenny Thompson um, from America. Um, yeah. If she had a swim mind, like she retired early 08, 
and obviously she would have come up against um, the Dutch girls a bit more, you know, who were starting to come through. Renomi Kramajojo? Well, I say Kramajojo, but I, I, every, all the commentators I keep hearing say uh, it has a yo-yo at the end. So I'm copying that Kramajojo. Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's interesting, isn't it, how people are starting their career on the back of someone else's career. So it's like that with everything, isn't it? Um, and obviously, yeah, uh, Kate Campbell came onto the scene in 08 as well mm. for that 50. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, my next question, mate, is there anyone racing today, male or female, um, that sort of reminds you of, of the way Jody used to race? <laughs> Hey, good question because I didn't even prompt you on this one. Look, um, oh, they're, they're, uh, the, the only one that comes to mind, and I only say this more on personality type, um, uh, Abby Webb, who I coached, reminds me a lot of, of Joan, just the way she swam and um, can lift. Um, yeah, Joan found it hard. Yeah, you know, if we went to the Brisbane Championships, she found it hard to sort of get excited. Mm. So the bigger the meat, the more she would rise. Um, whereas someone who, like Alice was the opposite. Alice could swim fast whenever, wherever. Yeah. yeah. And I think the difficulty for Alice was she had to control those emotions because she was so close to that optimum all of the time. You know, that inverted you. So that, Alice would go e easy for Alice to go over the top, whereas Joe did come up, and Abby Webb reminded me of the, of that, and just mannerisms of and the way she's the sets that she liked. For, you know, it's just like I've heard this before. This is, yeah. you know, two point so, Yeah. So um, then from from a swimming point of view, you know, um. Uh, is yeah, actually Emma McKeon um, reminded me of Jody, you know, years ago when Jody uh, Emma was like sixteen, seventeen, and talking to Ron uh, about Emma and her shyness and stuff like that. There, there's similarities there, and, you know. I was like, oh, yeah, I know exactly what you mean, or yeah, <laughs> blah blah blah. So, and Emma's you know twenty six point back end, great back end swimmer. Yeah. yeah. And she shared the fifty as well, twenty three now. Yeah, was it you were saying Sarah Ryan? Uh, Sarah, Shostrom, yeah, that. she, yeah, she said I didn't think she swam fifty three. So I thought she was a two hundred tug in cheek, obviously, because yeah. uh, you know she. But um, and you know I think even Emma said in that post race. You know, she owes that one to, to Bowley because that probably wasn't one that she would have had earmarked or gotten up for, but he sort of, you know, implanted that confidence in her that, you know, she puts her mind to anything, she can get the job done. Um, mate, to, to sort of put a bow on this one in terms of Jody Henry's career, I want to talk now about, you know, leaving for Brisbane in 2007 and then retiring in early 2008. Yeah, so um, just... I can't remember when she started going out with um, with Tim. He was uh, played for the Brisbane Lions, mm. and after actually um, Athens, uh, we had a, a a dinner with the Lions, and Jody, Alice, and I got all got presented with a jersey. So um, 
it's got Rollison on the back, you know. <laughs> I've had some fun with my cousins, you know, who, who now play AFL. When yeah. they were little, they were like, does Uncle Shannon play for the Lions? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, so she started, she just, yeah, it was probably 07. It might have been just after 07 Worlds that she started uh, dating Tim. I can't remember to be exact, but, yeah, so heading going back to Brisbane started increasing, um, and we must have gone to the World Cups, and uh, I don't think Jade went, but anyway, I came back from World Cups, so it's probably November or something like that, and um, she said, "Oh, can we meet?" So we we met. And um, she said, oh, I'm heading back to Brisbane, blah, 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 blah. And um, it was a good meeting. And, uh, you know, um, what's that saying? You're trying to beat love or something, you know what I mean? Like she, you know, she's into this guy. Yeah. And uh, I, I could just, you know, there was no point. I, I was hoping that she would, I could hang on and, with coach through to um, Beijing, but you could just see it wasn't going to happen. Um, anyway, so she went up and uh, started with Simon Cusack, which I thought, and she told me that in the meeting, I thought, that's strange, you know, like, um, anyway, so I thought, all right. So two weeks later, she calls me and she said, can I ask you a question? <laughs> and I said, yeah, yeah. And so she asked me, she said, do you think it's crazy for me to be training in a 25-meter pool? And I said, Joe, before I answer that, can I just ask, was anyone involved in this? And she told me. So there was, you know, I was the last to know. Yeah. And people in Swimming Australia were all involved in this, that approach. Simon, months earlier, you know. Mm. So I said, Jode, I've coached you for a long time. There's no way I'd coach you in a 25-meter pool. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, because she would get her momentum up and then that second 25 would just fly. Um, so she was training, just stopping and starting all the time. So she then went and, – and, and not only that, she was spending – like she was living in Holland Park and driving up in Drapilli and – you know, it's it was a forty odd minute trip, and that just killing her as well. So she went back. She trained with Drew for a bit mm-hmm. at Chandler, and um, but she always had um, problem health, some underlying health issues and stuff. And in the end, uh, that's sort of what that they were getting too painful, and and uh, and she, I think she stopped maybe February. Of 08, mm. which was, yeah, again, understandable. But yeah, for yeah, for Australia, we we really needed her for the, to win that relay. If if we were going to win the relay, we needed her in that relay uh, in 08. Um, but we, they came up the did the Dutch win it. Not sure. Mate, your memory's way better than mine. I like when you always look at me like I've I've got the answers. I've you, you've got way more stats in your mind than I do. I can assure you. Yeah, they, they got bronze. That 
yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I can only I'm, imagine. I think Tomo was the head coach uh, of Australia that year going yeah, into Beijing. So I can only imagine uh, it would have been disappointing for him to know, you know, there's no Jody Henry on that team. Even just from an outsider looking, even have Jody in there as, as that older, calmer head in the relays and having her mm. experience around would have definitely been were valuable for the young Kate Campbells and Emily Seabombs coming through because I think, you know, that was their first uh, Olympic experience. Yeah, well, Britta won it and she she had a good back end um, 50 and uh, she actually modelled her swimming a lot off Jode's right, you know, statistically. And um, Norbert, his older German coach, coached her, Norbert his last name Jeez, my memory's bad as well i should have had three coffees um but uh, i don't mind your memory being bad i just when you look at me for the answers i think shit he's put me on the spot here i don't know that's why you got me googling over here i, I texted <laughs> I, when the 100 free was on i texted her and just said and, and yeah you know, so it had been six months or something and uh i was there and i just texted her how are you going thinking you of you today or something like that and um she got back to me and then um, we lost touch and uh, for a few years after that. Hmm. It's interesting, isn't it? You mentioned they're just sort of reaching out and, you know, saying thinking of you today in terms of the 100 freestyle. I think it's something that we don't really uh, understand enough with, with the athletes. And I know certainly I put my foot in it few times with when Tokyo was on reaching out to athletes who hadn't quite made the team just saying oh did you want to come on the podcast we can have a chat and talk about the Olympics and they were like well not too excited for the Olympics to be honest and I don't know if I'll be watching it and it wasn't something that I had sort of understood from Mm. the outside looking in but once I really thought of it I thought well a what a dick am I and then b um yeah I can kind of understand where they're coming from in terms of just their their disappointment um and not probably being as no doubt they were excited to see their mates do well but there's that sort of underlying uh disappointment isn't there yeah no absolutely and that's what makes the olympics just so special i mean you know joe went to four world championships and you know one olympics so you know they just come about so infrequently mm. um so you know the timing yeah you know, so much of life is is the timing of everything, isn't it? And you know, we talk about that 1997 year, Dave Ells coming into the program, Tim Carrison, and just those guys having that effect and where you are in your space as well. And, uh, um, you know, is it the, the Chinese in gymnastics? Someone once told me that you've got to be born a certain year because they work it out. What they what age they want them to be at for an Olympics? Wow! So yeah, a lot of so planning goes a, into it. Yeah, it's just a special event. Yeah, man, I want to finish up soon, so I want to finish and leave you with this one uh, for all the listeners out there. It's been said that you know our job as coaches is to nurture nature. Looking back on your work with Jody and and no doubt the phenomenal success that you guys had together, how accurate would you say that is? Yeah, very accurate. Um, you know, I think the best work I did with Joe was my work on pool deck. You know, just dealing with with her, not not the not the sets, and you know, sure everything's a part, but 
you know, just being patient with her. Um, and, and, you know, that's why I'm a big believer in, in, you know, the coach I wanted to be was not just have one athlete. So I, I was allowed to be patient with her because I was had other people in my squad like Alice Mills and uh, Tani White and you know they they helped balance it all. But I I didn't get in the road of myself, you know. Mm. So so you know the younger Shannon's first reaction would have been to do this, but you know, and even some of the advice that I got from older coaches was to do that but i i wanted to be different i wanted to be better and i could see a a young girl who who wanted to be good but did you couldn't treat her the way you know what you what i thought was how you would do it so it became a real journey um and you know looking back it's funny, you know, people just say, oh, she's not doing enough. And, you know, I, I worked out her average in the last 12 weeks of every year, major prep. You know, she had an average of uh, 38K a week. Mm. You know, there's athletes now that don't even do that. But yeah. back then, everyone was saying it wasn't enough, you know. Mm. So, um, you know, the coachings, you've got to be so many things. And you've got to be those things to different people all at the same time. <laughs> it's what one athlete needs, another one doesn't. They need something else from you. So um, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting job, actually. And you don't often think about it until you sit down and think about it. I remember reading Eddie Reese said, oh, it's one of the hardest jobs in the world. When I first started, I was like, what? <laughs> but then you, and I'm not saying it is, but. You start thinking about all the details and you start scratching your head and you go, actually, this is a bit harder than what <laughs> you sort of think, look at it at face value. So Yeah, well, you just, you don't want to be putting those square pegs in round holes, do you? It's mm. important to identify that. And, I, you know, to your point, you would have made mistakes certainly in your early days. Um, you know, I certainly do continuously still now, which is why I like talking to you to, to try and learn from it. Coaches that are going to be listening to this, uh, are going to go through those days where they are trying to put a square peg in a round hole until they realise that the peg they're holding, you know, is square and it can't go in that round hole. So they've got to change the, the way they look at it, right? Yeah, like, you know, if I had to say, yeah, your outliers are always going to be different. So if you want, if you want a, you know, a gold medalist, in my experience, you've got to be able to deal with those outliers. Um so you've, you've got to be able to have that uh, flexible mind um, and, you know, how, how bad do you want that, you know? And I really wanted it, so I really wanted to change. I really wanted to, to develop myself. Mm. Um, and she really wanted it, so much so that sometimes it stopped her, you know? Um, and we just had to work around that. And, you know, as far as mistakes, like, Hey, like, it doesn't matter who you are. You you keep making mistakes. Um, I still, I'm still making mistakes. I I probably just make them not as frequently as what I used to, you know, it's just about learning from them. 
And and I think what the other thing that's hard these days or is becoming increasingly hard is this, you know, you've got to allow people to make mistakes. And I'm not so sure that's happening, you know. Um, people are too quick to, to move on people, you know. So, oh, for sure, know. mate. Uh, the amount of times, and it's, it's actually funny. It came up a few times these days uh, in terms of the the news reporters, especially around the NRL, and you know when the NRL boys um, mess up, as as they quite often do, because let's be honest, they're young adults and they're learning and they're going through those sort of experiences. Um, you know, and then the journalists are on to them, you know, the next day front page, you know, so-and-so has done drugs or so-and-so has been kicked out of a bar for fighting or whatever it is. And it was quite funny not that long ago. I think Piggy Riddell found a, you know, a, a story of one of the journalists who had actually been kicked out of a bar for fighting as well. And he printed that somewhere as well. And then mm -hmm. there was another journalist who had a photo with a stripper sitting on his lap and they printed that and said, well, you know, look, look what's happening here. Where was the story behind this? So, you know, I, I think we do to your point quite often forget what we were like when we were younger and the struggles and the learning experience we all went through. I know I've taken it to an extreme degree in terms of drugs and strippers there, but yeah. you, you sort of get my point in terms yeah. of, uh, you know, everyone has those learning experiences and, you know, gets in trouble one way, shape or form um, and, and has to learn from it. And, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We don't probably let people make those mistakes these days enough. No, you know, the, and this isn't a coaching thing, but, you know, someone, someone makes a mistake, oh, lose their job. Yeah. Seriously? <laughs> I mean, for the impact that's. They have, you know, family, kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Just so then you end up with people who who are afraid to to do anything. You're afraid to make a call, and um, and and you see it now. You know, at the opening of you know coming out of this lockdown, you ask someone, oh, what, what's the? Oh, no one wants to actually say anything, just in case they're not <laughs> quite right. You know. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 definitely changing. That's for sure. And um, yeah, the as you said, the amount of times you know coaches who have been brilliant coaches for so many years and you know get um, praise, you know, lathered all over them. And here's your medal, and here's your trophy, and here's your this. And you know something happens, mistakes are made, and uh, all of a sudden jobs are being called for, or so yeah. things are you know things get you know lost in the shuffle. Um, same with athletes, as I said, you know, mistakes that get made along the way and all of a sudden, you know, kick them off the team or they don't belong here. Or uh, I definitely yeah. think we have short memories, especially those people who are, who are printing those stories in terms of their own lives and what they they did. Now, mate, next week we're going to be talking about Denmark and, and your, you know, success over there and the time you had. And I know you, you definitely loved your time over there. Before we get into that next week, did you get a phone call on your last day of the AIS before you departed for, for Denmark? Yeah. So as I said, um, uh, after that text uh, at the, during the Beijing Olympics, Joe and I sort of um, lost contact and I, um, I made the, the call to go to Denmark, and uh, which I'll talk about next week. But it was like my last two or three days on deck at, at uh, the AOS and, you know, anyone who's spent time with me or uh, parents of um, swimmers that I've coached, you know, don't talk to me when I'm on pool deck, 
I don't answer phones, you know, all, all that sort of stuff. I'm pretty committed. Um, anyway, the phone rang and a lot of the times I'll just let it ring, you know, and um, certainly back then. And, but it's probably the headspace I was in. I, I was near the phone and it was just sitting on the table. I had a look and it was Jody Henry. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. <laughs> and I picked up the phone and we, we had a chat for about 20 minutes and she wished me all the best. Um, and she just wanted to reach out. And uh, yeah, so it, it, that <clears throat> that meant a lot to me, you know, so. Mm. And we've stayed in touch. I, I remember in Scotland, I I, um, I sent her a text because I had a different phone in Scotland. It was on a birthday. <laughs> I said, uh, happy birthday champ. And she's like, who's this? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's one of those things um, I think that gets missed quite a lot in terms of coaching and our sport and what we do is those, um, you know, friendships and relationships that we form with the athletes and with our teams, um, you know, whether it's at a level, you know, to, to the heights that you guys reached or even, you know, a coach that's coaching at the level that I am that I still, you know, quite often, you know, some of the coaches who are coaching now, I gave them their first first job in coaching and brought them through. And, you know, now they've started their own journey and we, you know, go and have beers together. And it's, uh, it's a great sort of community that we have in terms of our swimming communities. And I think it gets lost sometimes in the shuffle of, you know, um, you know, medals and, and times and, and awards and all that sort of stuff. But something that's really important to me, I know certainly is, is the relationships we form. Yeah, absolutely. Robbie. And that's where, you know, like last week you asked me about, you know, the pinnacle and, you know, what is it? And, you know, and, and I said, I think I said, you know, it's, it's not that Olympic gold medal. It's not the only thing. And that's the good thing about coaching. And then, you know, something that's very special to me is the, the relationships. You know, Jody's not the only one. I've, I'm still in touch with plenty of ex-swimmers and I'm mm. a godfather to one of um, Greg's, Greg Shaw's daughter and and Tani's White's, you know, um, godmother and that. And, and, and uh, you know, because you do, you, you work so hard with these people. You, you do so much together. It's great if you can, um, you know, just know how life's going for them, you know, because they end up being mums and dads themselves. Um, you know, the other weekend, I spent two, one and a half hours on WhatsApp chatting to Matt Abood and we had a beer and, you know, he's just got a newborn and, you know, and Matt comes down to Canberra and we go for a ride and it's really good, you know. Um, and I wouldn't change that for all the gold medals in the world, you know. So Yeah, no, mate, it's a good point. And uh, I think, uh, you know, for all the coaches out there that are listening, I think they would definitely be sharing those sentiments. Uh, absolutely. Now, um, that's it for today's episode, mate, of J.D. Henry. I absolutely loved going through Jody's career, she was also, you know, always one of my favourite swimmers to watch, um, you know, as a, as a fan of the sport and certainly those rivalries that she had, you know, with Libby Trickett, but then also when you go to Ingrid Bruin and, as you said, Natalie Coughlin and 
always just one of my favorites to watch so to be able to sit down with her coach and and uh go through those memories mate was very special for me so thank you very much um next week for all the listeners out there as we just touched on um, at this point in Shannon's career, he heads over to Denmark. So we're going to definitely talk about his successful time over there, what led to that decision um, and, you know, settling in over there, the success you had over there. I'm excited to to go through that with you next week, mate. But, um, yeah, how did you feel going through Jody's career today? Yeah, it was good. Um, tried to talk, you know, about trying to give an insight into what she was like and she was different and, now, hopefully some coaches can reflect on on that and 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 uh, spot those those types of personalities in their own squad um, and um, you, know, you may not think just make them think of, you know twice about what they think their perceived idea of what an Olympic champion will look like because it very much may not be. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely mate well i think we did a great job of that i think we told a great story as i said even by the time we got to athens you could start to see um you know jody maturing just in the storytelling that we were telling in those little um you know pockets of of information you were giving us in terms of what you know was going on behind the scenes so i think we definitely painted a great picture in jody's career jody you know obviously still working with swimming australia now um one of the absolute legends of our sport hopefully she listens to this podcast and feels like we've we've done her career justice but for me absolutely you know one of the legends of our sport i've had her on my podcast she was um you know brilliant to talk to um and uh, hopefully we can do it again maybe we might get her on this show for a chat at some point in the future but mate until next time for all the listeners out there the shannon rollison podcast going to be dropping every wednesday so make sure you keep a listen out for that but until next week shannon mate thank you very much for uh, coming on again thanks robbie thanks for having me and uh as always enjoyed it I don't know why I'm thanking you for coming on. It's actually called the Shannon Rollison Podcast. So <laughs> what I'm doing there. But to all the listeners, thank you very much for joining us again. See you next week when we chat about uh, Shannon's time in Denmark. Enjoy yourself. Enjoy the weekend. Stay out of trouble. And uh, make sure you know your COVID restrictions because, God help it, I, me and Shannon have no idea. So <laughs> good luck. <laughs> <laughs>